Welcome back to Return to Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Curry. If you haven't yet listened to our previous podcast episode, please make sure you go back and give it a listen. It's called An Enduring Honor, episode 14 on Return to Truth. Now, if this is your first time here, thank you so much for joining me today. If you've been here before, I appreciate your continued loyalty to the truth and for coming back for more. We are just getting started here. Honestly, I have barely even touched on the topics that need to be addressed and discussed further. So to get you up to speed on where we are at, the past five episodes, we have been discussing the Ten Commandments. We have been, in a way, deep diving from a high level into each one, touching the surface of God's holy law. If you haven't yet, I encourage you to go back and listen to episode nine, Trust and Obey, to fully understand why we keep the commandments of God. Not to be saved, but because we are saved. Yes, I've quoted this one before, but it was C.S. Lewis that said, obedience isn't legalism. It's a symptom of salvation. As always, before we begin any episode, we need to ask God to open our eyes so we can break down any barriers that keep us from understanding His Word further. This part is crucial. Always take it before God and pray for His Holy Spirit to guide you through this and ask that His will be done. So with that said, let's start off with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we start off by thanking you for the gift of life, for breathing into us the breath of life. Father, we know that without you, we would not be here today. It is you alone that sustains us. We are made in your image. Help us to live a life that reflects that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The title of today's episode is Slain the Innocent. Commandment number six is up next, so let's jump right in. Exodus chapter 20 verse 13 reads this, You shall not murder. Short and to the point, how simple is this? Such a clear and straightforward commandment. This should be easy for us, and yet so many get it wrong every single day. It seems like the biggest and worst of them all. You know, it is said that this commandment is about respect for life, about life's sacredness, and thus about respect for the Creator God who created humans in His image. The KJV uses the word kill. I'm using the New King James Version here, which uses the word murder, but for good reason. Let's for a moment look at the difference between kill and murder. Murder is premeditated and stems from a hatred or disdain. Murder is a subset of killing. Basically, it means to kill intentionally and without lawful excuse or justification. Killing, on the other hand, can be done in self-defense or in some sort of a military fighting for a just cause. Killing can also be a total accident. The difference between the two is intentions. All murder is killing. But all killing is in murder. The original Hebrew, lotirsha, is very clear, since the verb rasha means murder, not kill. However, the Torah uses the term for murder that is self-defining. A murderer is a rashak, a pursuer. In other words, someone who actively seeks out the victim to kill. The very first recorded murder in the Bible is between Cain and Abel. Let's take a look at what it tells us. 
In Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 through 12, it reads, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond you shall be on the earth. Imagine how God must have felt when this happened. The very first time blood of another human was shed in death and touched the ground. I would imagine the angels in heaven may have even wept that day. Such a senseless act of selfishness and jealousy. A few things to point out here in these verses that we should really take note of is that we see sin is always at the door. It's always knocking, just waiting for you to slip up and answer it. We also see that it has a desire to rule over you, a yearning. In other words, it doesn't ever rest. It is a constant battle that we fight every day of our lives, just trying to keep sin at bay. We talked about this in more detail in episode four, This Is War. So definitely take a moment and give it a listen if you haven't already. You know, we read in Ephesians chapter six, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Further thought into this, I think sometimes it's best to ask this question of ourselves. What sin rules in your life? What exactly sits on the throne in your heart? Is it sin or is it God? Or can't you say that sin stays in the outer courts of your kingdom? Problem is, if we let our guard down, we let the enemy know of a weak spot in the walls of the castle, a point of contact, and over time that can allow for a full-blown siege and attack on our physical, mental, and spiritual lives. Before you know it, you are outnumbered. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 reads, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking to yourself, I've never killed anyone. I've never broken that commandment. I'm in the clear, right? Well, let's look at what Jesus himself has to say about this. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 22, it reads this, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. Well, well, that took a turn, didn't it? We see here that yes, even those who may not have committed murder in a physical sense can still indeed break this commandment in a spiritual sense through anger. In doing so, we hold the spirit of murder within us. Interesting. It seems to me that it starts with hostility. Once that happens, Satan has you where he wants you. 
Being enraged with another individual is also a form of breaking God's holy law. What Christ is saying here is that there is no difference. Judgment will come. Jesus is saying you are not safe from punishment just because you have not shed blood. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 31 through 32 says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In the book, Patriarchs and Prophets, it says this, All acts of injustice that tend to shorten life, the spirit of hatred and revenge, or the indulgence of any passion that leads to injurious acts towards others, or causes us even to wish them harm, for whoso hateth his brother is a murderer, a selfish neglect of caring for the needy, or suffering, all self-indulgence, or unnecessary deprivation or excessive labor that tends to injure health, all these are, to a greater or less degree, violations of the Sixth Commandment. At this point, you may be thinking this. Didn't God kill a whole bunch of people in the Bible? Didn't he wipe out the entire world with a catastrophic flood? Let's dig deeper into this. When God made the choice to destroy all humans in the global flood, he was totally justified in his actions. Why? Well, we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Some may say that the executing of innocent people is murder. Thus, when God destroys whole cities, he is indeed committing murder. However, nowhere in the Bible can we find where God actually killed innocent people. In fact, when we look at God's holiness, there is no such thing as an innocent person. Compared to God and his purity, we all deserve death. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 reads this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Further on in Romans we read, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans 6, verse 23. You know, here's the thing about this. God and God alone can see the paths we take. Only he knows our future. Will it be a future full of love and hope, or will it be full of sin, hate, and destruction? What will the outcome be? What was the outcome for those people? Will our death be more beneficial to God than our life we are supposed to be living for God? God's unlimited knowledge, wisdom, and power supersedes our understanding of what we think is right in our eyes. We can't see past the walls that's in front of us, but God is already a thousand miles beyond it. Psalms chapter 147 verse 5 reads this, Great is our Lord, and mighty in His power. His understanding is infinite. God can use those who he knows has already chosen a life of sin as an example in their own sinful death to further his truth in order to save those who might otherwise choose him. Is this killing? Yes, in a way. But is it murder? No, not at all. God is not bound by our own limitations to knowledge and truth of the future. God does not break his own commandments. All right, let's talk about another word associated with the words murder and kill, and that's suicide. 
You may know someone who has committed this act, but is it the unpardonable sin? Well, here's my thoughts on this. God knows the heart. God looks at the heart. I would like to believe that he would understand if that person was under the influence of some type of drug or medication, or even in the depths of depression or maybe in a chemical imbalance of some sort that may have pushed them over the limit. However, I would not like my last act to be a sinful one right before I die. But as I said, God looks at the heart and only He knows the outcome of the choices we make. This is really a tough subject to tackle because only God can answer this question. I do believe murder is murder, even when it's yourself. And with that said, this also includes slow suicide. Whether slow or fast, it all ends in the same way. There are some, if not all of us, in some way or another committing what's called slow suicide. How so? Well, to put it simply, it's what we put into our bodies. It's our diet. Alcohol, drugs, smoking, unhealthy foods, things that have been medically proven to be harmful to our bodies. It's also what we don't do to our bodies. In other words, if we don't exercise regularly, lack of sleep, overworking our bodies, because of these things, we are in a way killing ourselves slowly. We must also take care of ourselves so we can continue to further the gospel truth. Our bodies are not our own. With that said, let's switch things up a bit here and talk about the elephant in the room. It was Mother Teresa that said, It is a poverty to decide that a child must die so that you may live as you wish. Did you know that according to a major research institute, there were 73 million abortions nationally per year from 2015 to 2019? That's per year. 73 million per year. Murder is taking innocent life, and there is nothing more innocent than the helpless innocent baby in the womb. What does the Bible say about abortion? Well, let's find out. God calls it an abomination. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 through 19 reads this, These six things the Lord hates, yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. Many women think an abortion is the answer to all of their problems. But instead, it just creates more. It doesn't fix the problem. It actually compounds it more in a way that they can't even imagine. In doing so, they suffer from guilt and can even go into severe depression because they have to live with the thought that they help to end the life of their child, their own flesh and blood. They say it's not a human. It's not a real person. It's just a clump of cells. But the Bible says you are wrong. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 reads this, Before I formed you, in the womb I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. We also read in Psalms chapter 22 verse 10, I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. That child had a purpose, a place, and it was all taken away. God knew that child, and he still knows. They go on to say, it's my body, my choice, but the Bible says different. We learn that our bodies don't belong to us, they belong to God. 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20 reads this, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Your body is God's, whether you like it or not. And so is the child's. No matter what you believe, God formed you both. Psalms chapter 139 verses 13 through 16 reads this, For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You may think that there is no God, but even a belief of nothing requires faith. If I'm wrong in this, I lose nothing. But if you're wrong, you lose everything. You can't hide anything from God. There is nowhere you can run from Him. He knows it all. You can't cover it up or sweep it under the rug. It's in full display of God which should really bring us into a state of repentance, knowing that He is always watching. Ecclesiastics chapter 12, verses 13 through 14 reads this, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. I think what really amazes me about all of this is that this very thing that you may support is the very thing that would have taken your own life had your mother supported it too. A couple claims they are having a baby. They are overjoyed. Another says it's not a baby and has it aborted. Apparently, it's only a child when they want it to be. How can we at one moment say that this is a legal child, a human being, but the next moment someone else says that it isn't? Is this really where we draw the line by how we feel? Can you believe it? I sure can't. Seems like we are living in a completely different world. A world where they use abortion as a contraceptive and then gloat about it on social media. It's because we have a generation of people that have no idea what the word responsible actually means. Romans chapter 8 verses 22 reads, We now live in a fallen world, and all creation groans under the consequences of our sin. In the United States of America, people are supposed to be innocent until proven guilty. Yet this is not true for a baby conceived in rape or incest or neither. Even though this child has committed no crime, he or she can be sentenced to death without a trial. A sentence even the rapist does not receive. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 16 says this, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. I'm so thankful our Heavenly Father does not deal with us in the same way humans do. With that said, many of these women are pressured into having abortions by their boyfriends, family members, and friends. Sadly, the loving alternative, the other A-word, adoption, is never even suggested. We have organizations like Human Coalition. Not only do they offer free sonograms, but financial aid and even help during and after pregnancy. 
They even have assistance in finding transportation employment. Now, for those who may be listening who have had an abortion and are weighed down with guilt, please remember that abortion is not the unpardonable sin. God is willing and ready to forgive and help all women heal from this traumatic decision. I encourage you to also visit the website Mafkia Ministries. This is from their homepage. It says, Defending the intrinsic value of every human being, pursuing healing and wholeness for every post-abortive woman and man. They even have the option of sharing your own testimony as well. So, can God really forgive me for this sin? God will forgive the man that is sitting on death row. If that's the case, then God can and will forgive you. Let's look at the story about probably one of the most wicked kings in the Bible, King Manasseh. We read in 2 Kings chapter 21, Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Hephzibah, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places that Hezekiah his father had destroyed, and he erected altars for Baal, and made an Asherah, as Ahab king of Israel had done, and worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will I put my name. And he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he burned his sons as an offering and used fortune-telling and omens and dealt with mediums and with necromancers. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord, provoking him to anger. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. How wicked and evil must this king have been? Among all the other detestable things he has done, he literally sacrificed his own sons. He burned them on an altar. Can you imagine doing such a thing? You know, in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 10-13, through 13, it goes on to say this, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they paid no attention. Okay, well, let's read further. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the commanders of the army of the king of Assyria, who captured Manasseh with hooks and bound him with chains of bronze and brought him into Babylon. It goes on to say, And when he was in distress, he entreated the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. He prayed to him, and God was moved with his entreaty and heard his plea and brought him again to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. We see here that even after all of this, God is still faithful. That's the one of the many things that I love about God. He gives us hope. He never gives up on us. We are never cut off from Him. God offers forgiveness of all sin, even when we are in our darkest place. We can always come back to Him, and He promises to cast our sins into the sea. Micah chapter 7, verse 19 reads this, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all of our sins into the depths of the sea. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 reads, If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God doesn't care what you have done. He only cares what you do next. You are never too far gone to come back to Him. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We have so much more coming your way. You can find Return to Truth on many different podcast apps. So just search Return to Truth and look for the logo. Make sure to follow this podcast channel on any of those apps or websites to stay up to date. Don't forget to then comment, rate, and subscribe because I want to hear from you. So please share this podcast as much as you can. New episodes dropping every single Monday. So remember to stay tuned for our next episode as we return to truth.